Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss in attempt to help you get through whatever it is you are going through. I am TJ Jackson, and with me is my eldest brother, Taj Jackson. What's going on, T? What's going on, Taj? We, of course, you and I know this, but in case you are watching for the first time, we are live on YouTube and Facebook, and you may also have found us on any of your podcast streaming platforms. So just wanted to make sure everyone knows that you can be watching this live on Facebook. You can also watch a recording, but you can watch it on YouTube as well, and then there's always a podcast. Um, as for disclaimers, Taj, I know you are not going to do it. So I feel I should just do this right now. Get it done. We are not licensed therapists. We are just ordinary people who've experienced loss in our lives. We've been impacted by it and we have learned from it. And we like to share our opinions in an attempt, in an, an attempt, in an attempt to help you get through whatever it is you are going through. Saying that, if you need professional help, we urge you to seek it and to find it. Please do not just rely on us. You know, Taj, um, it's been several weeks since I've seen you this way. Uh, we've been kind of on a little bit of a hiatus, and I did one show in between. Um, but it's, I will say this. It's good to see you, man, and it's good to have you back, and it's good to be in this, in this presence with our community. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be back. How is your life going? Everything good? Yeah, I, I had a. It's been pretty hectic. Um, I had a, a move in between. November is always hard anyway. I have my wife's birthday and then my daughter's birthday and then Thanksgiving and then a move in between our move at the end of the month. So just was. So it was crazy, busy. Uh, crazy, busy. Yeah. But, you know, and then, you know, obviously we're going to really quickly talk about we had two deaths. Mm. recently in around mm. us that were people that were very important to us is that, there anything you want to say regarding that Taj um just um it's interesting as we always say before as much as as many shows as we've done it never gets easier in that mm -hmm. way you you, mm -hmm. you kind of have the tools at times to learn how to mourn mm -hmm. and to what to say to other people as well but at the same time it doesn't make it easier on you in terms of your healing process because everyone grieves differently sandy um yeah was someone that was like wasn't family but was family you know right if, if you could call anyone family with sandy she's been there since i was born <laughs> you know in my life and in your life tj and and known as Mrs. Uno. She always, <laughs> yeah. you know, she would always be ready to take our money as she was. Yeah. Saying. She hoped for pennies. Like she'd love playing Uno for pennies and, and taking our money. She'd say, but <laughs> um, just people like that. It's, it's hard. You know, they're irreplaceable in your life. And, you know, Sandy's such a person that was so instrumental in us growing up and, and just, a, a joy so that's just been super hard and speaking of joy uncle william another person mm. you know that we basically and these are kind of both on our mom's side of the family mm -hmm. our uncle william um when you speak of joy me and tj you were we were talking about it like you can't think of joy without uncle william like True. he was always 
happy-go-lucky, just someone that looked at the best things in life and the glass always was half full in his sense. And he was 99 and we were planning on um, having a hundredth birthday and surprising him in Florida for it. And it never happened, obviously, but those kind of things kind of remind you, you know, I, I think it's also important to say that, you know, for anyone out there who may be dealing with the loss, um, you know, sometimes I think people assume when, when people who are elder lose their life, it's easier to deal with, or it's, it's not as difficult, but for both, when both of, you know, uncle William and, and, and Sandy passed it, uh, it messed my day, you know, and no matter what their ages were, um, a loss is a loss. And I think it's an important message to share with people is that when you lose someone, regardless of age, there's an impact that you're going to feel. And um, even after doing these shows for over two years and dealing with all the loss that we've dealt with from family and friends, it still is challenging. It's not like it's it's something that's easy to just handle. Um, and I, I just think that's very important to get out there because I think sometimes people think we can just handle loss since we do the show. We've dealt with serious loss. It's always challenging, always difficult. Yeah, I think especially, TJ, because of the holidays and stuff, um, mm. you could always expect a, a a card from Sandy, no matter, you know, mm. it was like that was a staple. She would always send you a card, no matter where, what address you were at, you would receive a card, you know, Christmas card or birthday so card true. from Sandy. She was always on it in that way. And so we always talked about, like, this is going to be a Christmas where we're not going to get that card, you know. It's true. Way. It's true. I don't think I've received more cards from anyone not even close than Sandy. Than Sandy. Not, yeah. not even close. Um, all right, Taj. Well, anything else you want to share with the world before we we have a great guest before we get there? No, no. I'm obviously in a new location, but this is temporary in terms of I'm in my bedroom I, right now. But the, the, saw, the next time it hopefully will be a little more interesting. I think I saw uh, you in the microwave for a quick second, but you've been out for a while, so, so no worries. Um, all right, Kutaj, we'll, we'll get straight into it then. Cool? Okay, real quick, I just want to answer someone's question. Um, I yeah. wasn't eating candy. I was I was chewing on tra- trail mix right before the show, so I was trying to clean my teeth because someone was like, is Taj eating candy? Well, I, I, I always watched the, the – and it was I, Tiffany, I, by the way, if you really want to I see this know. too. Taj, your voice sounds so deep today. Ooh. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's let's get into it, Taj. On today's episode of the Power of Love Show, we welcome Brittany R. Collins. Brittany is an author, educator, and curriculum designer dedicated to supporting teachers and students' social and emotional well-being, especially in times of adversity. Brittany is the founder of Grief Response Teaching, a professional learning community and resource hub that supports students and teachers' well-being in times of loss, the mission of which is to integrate grief science into actionable pedagogical, I hope I'm saying that right, um, practices (laughs) that support and sustain all members of a learning community at and beyond school. They recognize that loss is the most commonly cited traumatic experience among young people, so they strive to cultivate conditions for students and teachers' safety, connection, and growth in times of challenge. Brittany is also the author of Learning from Loss, a traumatic, a, a trauma-informed approach to supporting grieving students, which was recently released on November 2nd of this year. 
Learning from Loss is a comprehensive guide for teachers looking to support grieving students while taking care of their own social emotional well-being. You can learn more about Brittany's work at her website, www.griefresponsiveteaching.com or by following her on Instagram, which is at Grief Responsive Teaching. Without much further I always have to throw in the much in. Please welcome to the Power of Love show, Brittany R. Collins. All right. Yeah. How are you, Brittany? Hi. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction and for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be here in this space with you all and to connect with, with this community. Awesome. Well, well yeah. we have a great community um, that uh, we are very proud of, but I just want to say I'm very happy to have you here. Um, and I was, uh, I was almost mentioning this this shooting in Michigan, uh, Tiffany, uh, Brittany. I'm sorry, uh, to Taj before you coming on, but I wanted to save it for you at maybe at some point, just to ask a couple questions if that's okay. But before we do all that, and before we dive into your book, the method the the method methodology behind grief responsive tree fe- teaching and the amazing resources you offer. We first want to know what inspired you to go into this grief workspace. Sure. So I really appreciate, you know, hearing the intro and hearing you both speak about how you were personally impacted and you're not trained mental health professionals or psychologists, but that was not a barrier to your entering this work. And I really relate to that in terms of my own story and my own path. So I, when I was 14, lost my father to male breast cancer. And that was a time when my mom was also undergoing treatment for breast cancer. So it was a time of loss in my life as an adolescent. And certainly I experienced grief and adolescent development at the same time and kind of understood the developmental ramifications that experiencing loss or trauma as a young person can have. Um, I also had incredible mentors and teachers in my life who really, and coaches, Um, I was a dancer and had an incredible dance teacher who was one such caring adult who really changed the trajectory of my life, helped me throughout my grieving process. And that really stayed with me in terms of, you know, what an impact adults can have in the lives of young people, all young people, but especially in times of loss or challenge. And so I entered the field of education. I always knew that I wanted to be in education. Um, I'm interested in English and writing education, but a subset of that has always been social emotional learning and how can we create conditions for students at school and outside of school that are especially supportive of those who are experiencing loss. I think on the flip side of having access to many amazing adults, I also witnessed firsthand the discomfort that a lot of adults had Um, And I sensed, you know, that maybe folks didn't really know what to say to me always as a 14 year old who was grieving or how to approach that conversation. And I felt discomfort as well as a young person. And I think we all do. And I think that's something that's important to acknowledge. But I've felt committed, similar to, you know, your own mission statement to really kind of destigmatizing the grieving process and thinking about how we can support young people and teachers. That's an important part of the mission. And I know we'll get into that later, but how do we support folks during these times and make it a less kind of othering experience? 
Your grief responsive teaching, uh, what exactly, just so we could clarify, what is the mission and how did it come to be? Sure. So grief responsive teaching as a term is kind of both referring to my website and the, the organization, which you mentioned. And the mission behind that is really to provide community and to provide resources for teachers, school counselors, youth workers who are, are thinking about this work, right? How do we support students, young people who are undergoing grief and trauma? But the other side of that term is that I use grief responsive teaching to describe these kinds of practices, to describe the intentional um, approach to teaching, to youth work, to coaching, where we're thinking actively about um, the presence of loss in the learning environment and recognizing that almost every learning environment is impacted by loss in some way, even if we don't know that a student who we're working with or a young person who we're working with is grieving, we may not know their story, but I think it's a safe assumption that in all of our kind of learning communities or interacting with young people, um, whatever ways that we do that, loss is going to enter the picture. And so how do we think about social emotional learning? And um, I'm especially interested in adolescent development, but this is certainly relevant with younger children as well. How do we take knowledge of development and kind of combine all of these um, practices and research through a loss lens? And how do we apply that to supportive relationships and, and learning environments. Is there anything specific that uh, that you guys, like, is there anything in terms of creating conditions to support grieving students in the classroom that you would, that you guys do or that you think need to be done? No small question. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and a, a little plug for the book, right? Because this is the inquiry that really drove my researching and writing um, with learning from loss. And so I will say um, some guiding pillars that I found helpful are actually created by a psychologist by the name of Howard Bath, who created the three tenets of trauma-informed care, which are safety, connection, and emotional regulation. And so I find those especially helpful in thinking about the classroom environment and thinking about, you know, I always want to be inclusive, like folks who are not working in a classroom, this is equally relevant if you're interacting with young people in any way. Um, those tenets kind of guide me in terms of my own practice and certainly through grief responsive teaching, the resources that are provided, workshops, etc. think about each of those intentionally. Like we can break each of those down. Let's think about um, safety, like that could mean emotional safety, physical safety, mm. um, cultural safety, if we think about DEI, relational safety in terms of teacher-student relationships. And so there's a whole lot within um, those three sort of broad tenets. Um, thinking about the classroom specifically, I think about interpersonal support. The book talks about, you know, how to approach conversations with grieving students, how to kind of provide mentoring and that one-on-one -on -one support. But maybe even more importantly than that, the more environment-based kind of practices um, and the curricular strategies that, that we can implement, even if we don't know, like I said earlier, if students are grieving. Like those are things, um, going back to safety, emotional regulation, mm -hmm. connection, those are things that we can imbue all learning environments with and that are ultimately grief responsive, even if we don't, you know, we're not reacting to a specific student's loss. Is, is, is there any advice on how I'm hearing that feedback? Is that, Todd, is that you? 
No, <laughs> I, I mean, like so it. that's definitely not me. Okay, um, Brittany, is there any advice you would give to us regular people or family members of young people who may be suffering from loss? Um, how can we be supportive of them as they navigate school and life after loss? What advice would you give to us? That's a great question. So. I'll start by going back to those tenets, right, that I just mentioned. So safety, connection, emotional regulation. I think those are things that we can think about as parents, as friends, as neighbors, even if we're not working within education. And if we start to break those down a little bit, what does that really mean? And so um, just being there for young people, there's a quote from um, a researcher who I cite in the book that's saying, be there like that's the most important um, kind of phrase that we can keep in our mind. And being there doesn't always mean direct conversation about a loss. Um, I think that there's sometimes an expectation from those of us that are now adults. I think we often can forget the kind of hesitation that we felt as young people to maybe be vulnerable with elders and mentors in our lives. And certainly I was someone who, when I was grieving at 14 was not interested in talking about my story or my feelings um, with anybody who really, with well intentions, tried to initiate that kind of support. Um, and so recognizing that we can create conditions for young people to express them sh themselves, share aspects of their stories, their lived experiences, but on their own terms. And so I say that to teachers, I say that to everyone, like, what are the kinds of activities that we might engage in? Maybe it's writing activities, maybe it's music, maybe it's art, maybe it's dancing, right? Maybe it's nonverbal. But are there outlets that we can kind of facilitate for young people or provide for young people um, that ultimately equip them with outlets and with coping mechanisms that support well-being? If we think about regulation, maybe that's tying into mindfulness, maybe it's movement, maybe it's a sports team. I think I talk a lot about flow as well from positive psychology and activities that provide us with that flow state, meaning that we would engage in them even if there was nothing in it for us because we simply enjoy the process so much. And we all find flow in different things. And so that could be the debate team, that could be singing, whatever that is for young people that really um, can provide them with a sense of community, a sense of release, a sense of routine, and also start to maybe equip them with things that make them think about their own sense of future. So we know from trauma literature that loss and grief and trauma can actually impair our what's called sense of future. So our ability to think positively about our own development and what our life might look like in 5, 10, 15 years, because we're necessarily so engrossed in the now and you know, I think that's valid, like experiences of grief and loss really change your present moment. Um, but how can we equip teens and young people and children um, with those those skills and those outlets that kind of counter that and and re restore some of the kind of stability that they're often lacking in times of challenge? You've mentioned some, but I, I'm just going to ask the question because it was mm -hmm. a question I wanted to ask even before this answer. Sure. Um, and you ha you gave some great examples, but I'm curious to know what impact does grief have on our brains, bodies, and behaviors? Good question. So I will um, recommend a resource by a psychologist and a neurologist by the name of Lisa Shulman. 
She wrote a book called A Neurologist's Perspective on Grief, Loss, and Our Brains. And that was especially interesting and helpful to me while researching for the book because she really goes into the brain science. So grief, and this could extend beyond physical death of a person, right? I think grief and loss extend to all different types of losses, mm -hmm. um, living losses. It could be moving, it could be graduating, it could be um, a family um, kind of falling out, right? There's different types of loss. But loss impacts almost every part of the brain. Um, typically, it causes a both a fight or flight response, so that stress kind of activation, and then also a depressive response. Mm. Um, I always like to say that you know grief is often referred to as having five stages. I'm sure that you're both very mm -hmm. familiar with this, but that mm -hmm. it does not actually follow five stages, and that that science has actually been um, built upon and has evolved to understand that grief is a cycle. It's never ending. It's something that we carry with us forever, that we learn from, that we adapt mm -hmm. in response to, but that it's always with us in some way. And so we don't want to condense the process to this linear sort of, there's an end point. Um, and certainly working with young people don't want to imply that they should be following that kind of path or imply that they should be over it already, right? Yeah. Um, so the brain certainly is undergoing neurological changes that then can impact the body and, and you know, physical well-being and health, both in the moment and for a lifetime. I think about the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, which we also know that science has evolved to understand that things like systemic racism and depression also create trauma responses that are not accounted for in ACE metrics. And so there's a moving mm -hmm. away from that research in the field, which I think is necessary. But I think that what we can extract from that study and on all the science surrounding it is the real physiological impacts of stress, of chronic stress, of loss. Um, and certainly grieving, I think, falls within that kind of category. Um, and, and the third, part of your question was behavior. And so mm -hmm. behavior comes from those changes in the brain and the body, right? And so especially in young people when they may or may not have the language yet to kind of um, name and also share their emotional experience, um, that might manifest, grief might manifest in other behavioral changes. And in a lot of literature that's referred to as behavioral challenges, and then there's also an effort to kind of move away from that and towards behavioral changes. In my book, I kind of dance between both of those terms. I argue that behavioral changes are often challenging for both the person experiencing them and the person witnessing them. So I don't think it's stigmatizing to say, like, let's say anger is a grief response. That's often challenging for both the person experiencing it and receiving it, right? So I think it's okay to kind of name that, but with the understanding that any kind of behavioral changes, and those are vast. Like I, in the book, provide a chart of some common kind of behavioral responses to grief and trauma, but they could be anything from apathy to perfectionism. I mentioned anger, um, avoidance, coping mechanisms, right? Like it's very broad and very situational um, and dependent on the person and kind of where they're at in their development. But all of those, there's a story behind what we're noticing, right? And so as teachers, um, this gets into a really important part about thinking about like discipline in school, right? And we know that inequity and, and discipline are really hot topics right now. And that it's so important to think about the, the story and the adaptation that's really lying underneath 
that behavioral change. And so instead of noticing anger and recognizing it as something that we need to punish, um, what if we think instead about how anger is actually serving that student really well in a grief or a trauma context where they developed that as a coping mechanism because it's helping them meet an unmet need. Um, yeah. And we might not ever know about that story or that situation, but that's ultimately why we all develop coping mechanisms. Um, and do, and that do, you, might manifest do you think do you we're going to learn, learn how to handle that better? Like how you read? Okay. Do you think we're going to learn, learn how to, how to uh, Handle kids when they express anger and, and react the proper way? I think so. I mean, I really, I think I'm an optimist, but working in education and working within the trauma-informed education space, meeting more scholars and teachers and researchers in this area, I think there is, especially now in the moment of the pandemic, where suddenly there is a more widespread understanding of the need for trauma-informed and, and grief-responsive practices. Not that there wasn't that need before, but I think there's a more mainstream realization of that. And also simultaneously of all of the DEI work that's going on in education right now and thinking about restorative justice in schools and seeing, you know, you mentioned the school shooting that just happened. Um, you know, this is in our national narrative education is in our national narrative, especially in this moment in a way that I don't know that it always has been. Um, and there's such an urgency around how do we do this better? And also we're experiencing this as adults. So I think it's easier when you're going through something as an adult to say, wait a minute, you know, this is impacting the young people in my life. This is impacting me. And how do I understand it? Because I'm feeling it in my own body. So I think the pandemic, especially, um, raises feelings of grief in all of us. Maybe it's not tied to a physical death of a person, though it may be. We know that 1.5 million children um, are bereaved in response to COVID-19 around the world right now. So, you know, I think this is so widespread that I remain hopeful that we will we will learn how to do this better. Beautiful. Um, I'm, Brittany, can I ask you to maybe turn down the speaker just because I think it's sure. just a bit. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so now I want to talk to you about your book, Learning from Loss, A Trauma-Informed Approach to Supporting Grieving Students. What inspired you to write this book? Good question. So really everything that we've just been discussing, right? So certainly my experiences as a grieving student, I would say, are the first kind of impetus for the writing process. And then also this inquiry of how do we do this better? And so I don't pretend to have all of the answers. Um, I you know, was a student who was grieving. I'm now in the field of education working with young people. I'm collaborating with teachers, but really as a co-learner. And so I um, wanted to pursue the research and to pursue interviews with teachers from a variety of backgrounds, school counselors, grief counselors who are working outside of the school system and all of that, their stories are reflected in the book because I, I really wanted to provide a platform for all of these stories to kind of come together and coalesce and let's, let's pursue this question together. So I think about the book as really um, one long kind of inquiry into how do we, how do we do this better? And so also wanting to support teachers and understanding as I've grown up and I moved away from the grieving student kind of identity and into the teacher identity. 
how do we support our own well-being as adults when we're working in times of loss and challenge when loss impacts our school so really just wanting to support everyone's social emotional well-being who is the book for uh what can readers expect and then finally can you tell us where we can get a copy sure so i will start with the last question you can get a copy <laughs> at amazon um and also Heinemann Publishing, Heinemann.com. That's my amazing publisher. If you also go to my website at griefresponsiveteaching.com, there are direct links there as well. Um, the book is for primarily folks who are working in the education and youth work space. So I wanna be broad about that. That can be classroom teachers, that can be coaches, that can be advisors, that can be school counselors and psychologists. Um, I say that because I use the terms teacher, student, and school context throughout the book. However, I also hope that if folks are curious, um, even if you're not a teacher, there are also practices and research that are transferable to supporting young people, no matter if you're a parent, if you're a neighbor, like we talked about before. So much of this still applies. Um, and what can you expect? So I really tried to distill research, so science and psychology and education theory into actionable, relatable um, stories and, and practices for the classroom. And so we don't all you know, want to sit around and read psychology journals, right? We wanna know I'm in a moment of grief or in a moment of crisis and I want to know what to do now. Just tell me you know, what I need to do, what are the best practices for entering a conversation with a grieving person or supporting emotional regulation in the classroom. So the book is broken down into um, questions that you might be asking yourself. Each chapter is a question. And so you can take it in chunks. You don't have to read it linearly. And every chapter provides that research, provides strategies, and also you'll find lesson plans and some activities to implement with young people as well. So ready-made um, activities to, to put into your learning environment. Great. Great. Uh, Anna has a comment. You're doing so much good, Brittany. You're an inspiration. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> Carla says, I saw you this morning on an advert for Susan G. Komen Cancer Center. Very interesting. I did not know that, but I have done some other work in the kind of cancer and storytelling space and, and health and storytelling because of my own, my own Love story. it. And then Clarissa has a question. She asks, what would you recommend in regards to dealing with the loss of our grandbaby's mom, our daughter, how to help them, how to help her grandbabies. Clarissa lost her mother, I'm sorry, her daughter recently, and mm. she's looking for help to helping her grandbabies. So what would you say to Clarissa? Absolutely, and I'm so sorry, first of all, Clarissa, that you know, you're know you experiencing this time of loss. I think that we can all empathize with the uncertainty of that moment and wanting to do everything that we can to support the young people who are also impacted by this but might not be able to make sense of it in the way that that we can as adults um and so i think that first of all your being here and asking that question shows that you already have the intention and and the the love and the support for these young people um that you need to to really be a supportive presence in their life and so i will say first both to clarissa and to everybody that in the research what I discovered, which is kind of simple but amazing at the same time, is that it only takes one supportive and caring adult to make a lifelong impact in 
the life of a child or a student who is grieving. Like that's really all it takes. And what does that mean? It means consistency. It means support. It means articulating your willingness to be there for them. Um, I know that you're most likely talking about younger children. Um, and so there are ways that, that you can do that even if you are not at a place where you can name, you know, name that in the way that you would with teens to say like, I want to be here for you, but how can you show the young people in your life that you, that you want to be there for them? I also think that storytelling is really important. And so how can we both invite young people to articulate their story of loss in whatever way that that manifests for younger kids, maybe it's drawing or, or, or speaking or in, in their play, imaginative play, like these themes come up. And so not shutting that down, but welcoming their own expressions. But I also think about reading other people's stories. And I interviewed a grief counselor who was doing work with very young children um, and, and reading picture books about grief and loss together. Um, and I know that you folks interviewed the author of Grief on the Playground, and that book comes mm -hmm. to mind, right? That mm -hmm. there are stories for younger children that normalize these experiences. And anything we can do to say, this is really hard, but this is something that you don't have to go through alone, and also that other people go through and, and that we can find ways to cope with this together just makes it a less isolating and an othering experience. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we always preach the importance of of books and how it could be a vehicle to help the dialogue get started. And we've had some great authors, you know, of children books. So um, Clarissa, that I, I'm I think yeah I've seen you many times in our in our community so maybe watch some of those videos and get some of those books it always helps because um, for me and Taj can can relate to this it's the isolation that was the most difficult thing you start feeling yeah. like it's only me going through these challenging moments and just the idea to know that there's others out there who who are going through it help a lot. Yeah, um, Brittany, I wanted to ask you about your workshops, your interactive workshops. Can, what can people expect? Can you tell us a bit about it and where can people learn more or join? Sure, absolutely. So to learn more, again, it's my website, griefresponsiveteaching.com. Right now, the workshops are really being adapted to the needs of specific schools and communities um, and, and youth organizations, so nonprofits, et cetera doesn't always have to be a school. But what does a grief responsive teaching workshop look like? I feel very committed to creating spaces for reflection for the adults that are supporting young people. And so there's a lot of research on vicarious trauma and kind of the emotional toll that can come with witnessing stories of loss and working with young people who are experiencing loss and trauma, like that that necessarily takes a toll on us as well. It's, it can be difficult work to, to witness. Um, and so I wanna create spaces that support reflection, support writing, support storytelling. Again, going back to those three tenets of trauma-informed care, regulation, connection, and safety, adults need those things as well. And so I work collaboratively with teachers with folks who are impacted by this work to hear the needs of their community and then kind of think about what from the literature, what from the activities, some of which are in the book, um, what of these tenets can we both provide space for for educators and then also you're at the same time kind of exemplifying how the educators can then take those practices to the young people that they're working with. And so um, again, adaptable every single kind of interaction is different, but the tenets that are 
that are true in all of these workshops is taking kind of a design thinking approach and an inquiry-based approach, not unlike the book, of how do we learn about this together? How do we support each other? How do we share our stories? And then channel that reflection into actionable strategies that we can take with us. Well, great stuff, Brittany. Um, before we get to the final message, uh, there's a couple of things uh, I want to say. There, here's a quick super chat from Dion. We'll say, hello, family. Thanks for this format. I lost my older daughter at 29. It's still tough getting through the holidays. Our love to you, Dion. Um, our love to you. and We are praying for you and can't even imagine what that is like for you. But just sending you so much love. Uh, there's a question, Brittany, for you from Sophia. Um, she asks, how do you deal with low mood and negative thoughts during the grieving process? Mm, that's a great question. Thank you, Sophia. So I would say first that I'm very passionate about destigmatizing mental health and, and actually seeking counseling or therapy or a support group or a community, like whatever that feels like to you, like whatever you think is the most helpful for you in that moment that provides um, support and community. But beyond that, I would say, I find it helpful to go back to those flow state activities and those activities that provide regulation for us. And that's different for everyone. For me, it's writing. Growing up, it was dancing um, and yoga. And like, what are those activities? And this is not to sound like self-care, right? I do not in any way want to be like that person that's saying, go take a bubble bath and everything will be better. Instead, what are the activities that we know make us feel like ourselves? Like what grounds us? What are we passionate about? It's even better if those activities connect us with other people. Um, dance was perfect for that. For me growing up, um, it was a team sport, right? So you're you're activating your body, you're in a community, you're working towards a common goal and purpose with other people. And I think those are um, characteristics that can, can translate to other activities and outlets. But that's the thing that when you are going through those low kind of times, um, provide even half an hour of release and escape and kind of remind you of who you are and your own identity and, and what you're passionate about. So important, so important. Um, okay, Taj, are you good? I, there's another question. Are you okay answering these questions, Brittany? I know oh, I'm yeah. putting you on the spot. Okay. No, it's great. <laughs> okay, uh, there's another question that popped up. This one's from Belen. Um, she asked, what should we do so that these dates, I think like any important dates, maybe in this case, the holiday dates, the holidays mm -hmm. season are not so hard for mm -hmm. people who have lost someone close to us. Mm -hmm. um, and you can speak as an expert or from someone with experience what do you suggest someone do when there's a certain date or certain season or certain week that's just challenging because, you know, it's, it's for whatever reasons when mm -hmm. you've lost someone close to you? That's a great question. I will speak from personal experience first, more so than the expert, which I don't yeah. pretend to be. I don't think <laughs> I any it. of us can truly be an expert in grief either. I, you all were saying that at the beginning, like no matter how much you study this or yeah. engage in this work, it doesn't really get easier when you yeah. experience it yourself. You can intellectualize it, you know, however much you want, but it's like a felt experience that never gets easier. I would say that um, memorialization activities, and what I mean by that is if this is someone who is close to you, what can you do to kind of remember them or honor them on these days that feel challenging? And maybe that's the holiday season. Maybe it's another kind of um, grief marker in your own kind of timeline. 
Um, maybe that's something that you do with other people, but it could be small. Like what is a tribute to that person that you can do? And reflecting and, and maybe writing about the ways that you have learned from that person and carry their legacy on in your own life and in your own work. Um, those are, are things that have helped me. And then also going into the research, when I was writing the book, there is a lot of research about the memorialization activities and the, the benefits of that. Um, when a, This is a, a small anecdote, but a third grade class had lost their class pet um, a hamster that had been in the class all year and the teacher was thinking about with young kids like how do I introduce this conversation and how do I let them know um, and this could sound silly but like for these students this was something that was a strong part of their school community and they decided they they asked the students what do you want to do to honor this moment the students wanted to have a service on the playground for the class hamster um, and they had they had like a bur a burial on the at recess time like mm -hmm. by the swing set and that sounds that might sound silly, but it made a huge difference in the third grade kind of class and culture and how they were able to understand process come together feel their feelings and then integrate that um, moving onwards and I in no way mean to compare. Um, loss of a person to loss of a class pet but i but i'm using that anecdote as an example yeah. of how whether it's with a young person or even us as adults can think about how to remember someone who's close to us during those those hard dates and days uh and angie adds i have a ritual to remember my loved ones by having a christmas ornaments that i place on the tree mm -hmm. every year Very that's cool. great that's a good example of uh, and one more super chat we have from Bami who says, Brittany out here doing the Lord's work. We are so grateful for you to join us. Sending love and she beautiful too. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so Thank <sweet>. you. <laughs> um, all right, Brittany. So we are going to wrap up. Um, I would love to know, um, Taj would love to know, the community would love to know if there's a final message you have for us. It could be on any topic, anything you want to share with our community. The floor is yours. Sure, thank you. Well, first I want to express my true and genuine gratitude to both of you and again to the community for sharing this space. I always appreciate opportunities for authentic conversations about this. I think in Western culture especially, like there is a stigmatization about, mm. about lost experiences and we internalize that when we are grieving and we don't always find spaces to have these conversations, but how can we support ourselves and support young people if we're not having those conversations. So first, thank you for all of the work that you are doing in this field. And in terms of a takeaway message, I touched on this earlier, but I really want to reiterate that research has proven that it only takes one person to make a difference in the life of someone who is grieving, um, especially in the lives of youth, but I would extend that into any of us, right? It only takes one caring individual, it could be a neighbor, a friend, an advisor, a teacher, um, to really offer that support and that that support does not have to be large. Like we're not telling teachers that they need to go be school counselors. It's simply making your presence known, having a consistent caring relationship with someone and thinking about how you can just support their development. And that was really powerful and affirming to me being in the education space. And I offer that to all of you because we can all make that difference. 
Beautiful. Well said. Love that. Yeah. That's the takeaway I'm taking too. It just takes one, one, one caring person. So Brittany, people can find you on Instagram at grief responsive teaching, as well as on Facebook. And then of course you have your website, www.grieffresponsiveteaching.com. Of course that spells www that grief responsive teaching.com. Um, all right, Taj, was there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, this was, you know, obviously great. Thank you, Brittany, um, for teaching us another lesson in terms <laughs> of grieving in that way, because a lot of stuff has been re-emphasized, I, I think, in terms of that, like the community aspect of it, like not feeling isolated, that's very important, but also, I loved how you used that, you know, your last saying in terms of talking to talk about, you know, it only takes one because that's super important. You know, some people think, you know, they think, what can I do? And it really is just engaging and, and being there, which, you, you know, couldn't just be hanging out with someone, you know, at their time, doesn't have to be talking to them or whatever, just comfort in some way. So. I appreciate you and everything that you've said in, in this conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of these lovely messages that I'm seeing at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, the, the, our really community is so incredible. Yeah, in we, we have a wonderful community. And, and I'm going to take this time to just thank the community on our behalf um, and the entire foundation's behalf. We love you guys and appreciate you guys. And we hope you guys are growing and learning and getting stronger. That was the whole purpose of DDJF. So it's moments like these where I just want to thank you guys. Um, all right, everyone, we are going to sign off. Brittany, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, so we will be back next Wednesday, everyone, at 1 p.m. Please be safe. Enjoy your families. And adios, everyone.